podcast that brings you the charming coffee shop banter without the food or beverages. Friends, I have some exciting news. I got a new job. Yay! Hooray! Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. I know. I'm finally going to make money again and be an active member of society. <laughs> Impressive. So, one of the nice things is that I actually negotiated that I wouldn't start until November 1st, which gives me an entire month of October free. So, in the meantime, I'm actually going to travel to Prague with my brother and my mom. Ooh. So, I haven't actually gone on... That sounds amazing. I think, I think so, too. I'm really excited, except for the fact that I have not been on a family vacation with my family in a while. So, I'm hoping we do not kill each other. <laughs> uh, Natalie just came back from a family vacation. Isn't yes. that right? Well, I, is it really a family vacation if you just go with one family member? Yes. yes. Like... <laughs> oh, okay. I thought, like, maybe you had to reach, like, a breaking point. Like, when you introduce someone as family, like, usually you're like, this is my sister or my cousin. But, like, when there's a few of them, you just say, this is my family. <laughs> that could be, but I would say it's only to distinguish it from, like, a friend vacation or, like, a couple vacation, which have very different tones than a family vacation. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know about you guys, but, like, do you have, like... You know, you would say things to a family member, a close family member that you would never say even to like a really close friend. Like there's always that veneer of um, courtesy and politeness and you might stop loving me when dealing <laughs> with not family members. Actually, it's the exact opposite for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm way more open with my friends than I am with my family. Yeah, if I talk to my friends like I talk to my family, sometimes there would be a lot more drama in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you mean, Tracy? You know, because I have grown up with my family my whole life, and, like, we've had feuds. I've known what it's like to just scream right in their face or to have, like, these long, drawn-out arguments with them. And so, like, sometimes it's just because that precedent is set. I might say something that's, like, a lot meaner than I would say to somebody who's just my friend who I haven't known for that long. And compared to your family, you haven't known anybody that long. So, <laughs> yeah, for me, I have the potential to be meaner to my family than anybody else that I know. Oh, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Where Oh, I see. When you when you vacation with friends, um, and, like, Stacy and I went on a vacation together, like, a few months ago, um, there's always that kind of, we're going to be decent to each other because that's what people do. Oh, I see. And for some reason, that does Wait. not apply with family. So were you being, like, particularly polite to me when we were on vacation, Natalie? No, I was being the appropriate politeness level I am to a friend. <laughs> I don't know. When we talk about appropriate politeness level, somehow it feels like we're not as close as I thought we were. <laughs> well, it's I guess like, I don't know. I don't know if we want to go here, but, like, <laughs> and I were much more critical of our bodily functions together oh than I would ever be <laughs> with someone else. That's yeah. true. I've, I'm more likely to talk about my bodily functions with my parents. <laughs> yeah. This is like anytime you travel with somebody, you're having that close quarters situation where it, you have the potential for this type of stuff to come up you know like maybe you're friends with somebody but if you've never traveled with them before like maybe you've never had to have the same bathroom as them or 
uh, yeah. maybe you've never had to encounter any of these like daily routine situations that can get kind of uh, conflicty at certain times. I also like wanted to ask you like what your general ideas of travel are and what like led you to this impression. Mm. Like ideas about travel, like what role it plays in your life kind of. Well, because I always find travel vaguely terrifying, and I, like, don't really understand why people do it (laughs) recreationally. I like this idea of people doing travel for, like, you know, competitive reasons or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, because it just seems like every time I was like, okay, these things happened, I have identified the problems, I have identified solutions, next time I go, it will be, it will be good. and then. And then it's not good. I don't know. I like travel. But I think it's because you and I want different things when we travel. You want to have a relaxing time. But for me, it's kind of a, it's a bucket list thing. Like, it's a quest to see as much of the world as I can. Yeah. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if these things go wrong as long as I accomplish my quest in the end, which is to see the thing that I came here to see. I tend to see travel as uh, the most interesting thing I could possibly spend my time or money doing. So, like, when I think about my life goals, like, okay, I want to do well in my career, and I want to have, like, a good living situation, and, like, basically all the things you want in life, the the invisible if or the invisible then that comes after that is so I can travel. You know, I want to have a good Uh life because if I had the perfect life, it would mean that I could do nothing but travel all the time. Because everything else would be settled. So for me, like, the ideal the ideal situation is for me to see mm-hmm. the entire world and eat everything there is to eat and visit everybody there is to visit. And everything else I do is in support of that goal. I think one thing that uh, contributes to a trip being a good trip instead of a super stressful trip is kind of being above average aware of your physical needs. Like, there have been times where I've been traveling where normally I guess I more go with the flow. Like, I don't really ever impose my will on mm-hmm. the group, but I'll just announce, guys, if I don't sit sometime in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to get, like, so cranky that you're not going to believe it. So, just so you know, mm-hmm. that's my timeline right now. And so, just, like, being aware that I'm about to snap like that and, like, taking action to just relax and have some food and, you know, get back into relaxation mode is important to me. So I always have to kind of keep checking on myself in a way that I don't during my everyday life. I had this idea recently that I think should be part of society, which is that when everyone comes of age, like whenever you think I should be like 18 years old or whatever, you are, you're not forced, but it's like society expects you to plan and execute a solo trip that you take for like a week where you're not with anybody, maybe you can meet up with some people that are locals when you get there, but it's all about you deciding what you want to do for a week and planning it and executing it, which I think will have two purposes. One is that it will teach you to do this when normally you might not ever learn until it's time for you to be forced into a travel situation. And two, it teaches you what you actually like on a trip, which is hard to know when you're traveling with other people and kind of you're all clashing when it comes to where you want to go and what you want to do and in what order, etc. Because I think I don't actually know like how I would structure my trip if it was just me. I've never taken a solo trip like that. Taking trips with just Kevin, right? Yeah, but even a couple's trip is very different because 
you still are two people. You are deciding together what to do, and... It's true, but you must have some idea of what you like and don't like based on just how you react to Kevin's suggestions. Well, I mean, I have I an idea, like. but I've just never done it. So, like... Mm-hmm. And, like, an alternative of that is, like, to travel with lots of different people, so you get kind of, like, a taste of all the spectrum. Right, yeah. Like, one of my favorite vacations was when I crashed a friend's family vacation. (laughs) It was great. It was amazing. What did you like about it? So, basically, I flew to Heathrow, I think, and then she was on a family vacation in York. And then, so, like, I had kind of a day by myself where I had to figure out how to get to the train station. And I like went to the British Museum too, because I love the British Museum. And I got on a train and then I met her like around York and they picked me up from the train station. And then we drove to like the cabin that they had rented. And then there was like, they had picked up groceries. So there was like home cooked warm food. And then there was, they had like, quote-unquote a backyard which meant like just grass as far as the eye could see and like maybe a tiny little house somewhere else in the distance and then so like I woke up and I'm like I got to wander around you know within sight of the house and like make myself a cuppa and then then Mm -hmm. I just kind of like read books and hung out and like talked to her family and then like we met up with like a friend and did like a little walking tour of york and it was very very nice so natalie your idea of a perfect vacation is just one where you get to kick back and relax no not so much that like i like to travel to see people i care about at this point like i have a lot of friends scattered in a lot of places you know like this podcast ah I, like, just want to hang out, and a lot of times, like, I want to see, like, their world, and, like, so I guess I do like seeing things, like, I like to see things that are important to them, and they're, like, this is my favorite coffee shop, this is, like, where I vacationed as a small child, these are, like, the things that I love, and, like, let me share them with you. So it might depend on your travel companion, whether for them a more relaxing trip is a travel trip or a stay-at-home kind of trip. Because I bet there are certain people for whom, like, going to see the sights would have this vibe of, like, let me show you around my town. But other people, it's, like, going to be stress, and they just like to chill at home. So maybe that is the most comfortable trip experience, is one in which everyone has the opportunity to be perfectly sociable. The hardest thing about traveling for me is, like, getting in a bind and not knowing what to do and, like, who to call. Mm, Yeah. And... Oh, did I tell you guys that um, we, like, couldn't find one of our Airbnbs? Like, the address that he gave us was, like, a street. And then you're like, but the street is, like, quite long. And, like, we don't know where exactly it is. And it's, like, dark. And it's getting late. And we just, like, couldn't find it. So we finally, like, pulled over at, like, a random house. And, like, just went and knocked on the door and was like, here's the address that we're trying to get to. Can you help us? Ah. And then they, they like, were like, oh, yeah, like, you just go back on the road and you drive for two kilometers and it's on your left. And then I was like, can you draw us a map? (laughs) And they drew us a map. But, like, 
just like that scenario where you're like, it's past our check-in time. We have no idea where this place is. Our phones don't have data, so we can't even pull it up. The number that we're calling goes to voicemail, like, in Germany. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do at this point? Like, and then, like, panic is starting to set in, and you're tired and hungry and cranky, and you're like, this happens every time. This happens every time we go on vacation. What's going on? This is also why I would like to speak all the languages in the world. (laughs) That would be nice for travel. Right, because I feel like a lot of the times when you're traveling and you find yourself in a bind, a lot of it is, it feels more anxious or anxiety causing because you can't speak the language so you can't ask for help because I actually had a similar experience just earlier this year on my way to Michigan we were flying through Japan we spent a night in Japan and we couldn't find our hotel like I had the address but Japanese addresses are laid out in a way that's very confusing to me I don't know how it's structured and so I had a vague idea of the direction because I'd seen it on the map while I still had Wi-Fi at the airport, but once I was out on the street, I had no more internet, it was past midnight, and there was just nobody on the streets to ask. Luckily, there were several hotels in the vicinity, so I had to go into one hotel to ask them how to get to another hotel. It was a little embarrassing. But the that guy at the desk, he was very nice, and he even printed out us a map that we could take with us. Huh. I guess he felt sorry for us. He didn't want us to have to sleep in the streets as a result. (laughs) Yeah. I like it when you're traveling and you meet nice and helpful people. I feel like if you can go to a foreign country and not have any hiccups at all, then you basically, you aced it. Like, you are a professional traveler and you can do anything. Other than that... And usually the reason... Like, the reason that you're able to do that is usually because you planned redundantly, you know? Yeah. You always had, like, fallbacks for everything and everything. And um, then a but... lot of it is also just luck. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just dumb luck. You can't plan for every contingency. Yeah, we also, like, on our last trip, my sister and I missed our connecting train in Italy. And then so I was trying to, like, book a new train with high school French in Italy. <laughs> that sounds stressful. Sounds like something I would try to do, too. By the way, just for fun, what is the first word that pops into your head when you think of Iceland? I just think about, like, the the soup, the $20 soup. <laughs> <laughs> Was the $20 soup good? Not really, not at the place we had it. I think it's just, like, not to my palate. Like, there was nothing, like, improperly cooked about the soup. Like, it was, like, a vegetable soup with, like, chunks of lamb. But um, I think I was used to a lot more herbs Mm. in my soups. You could taste the lamb, and you could taste that the soup was salted appropriately. Mm. And then, like, you could get, like, a little bit of sweetness from, like, the celery and the carrots. But... There was, like, no bouquet garni. Like, there was no, like, bay leaf or rosemary or, like, thyme or any other things that were going on. So, like, you'd put it in your mouth and then it would just be. There was no complexity to the soup, which is fine. Yeah, if it had cost $5, it would have been fine. 
It's European snobbery. That's what it is. Just like that article we shared a few weeks ago in the newsletter. <laughs> what do you mean? Remind me what happened? It was the article about how, like, spices were originally spicier, but then somehow they got tamped down, and now we associate heavily spiced things with, like, ethnic, quote-unquote, foods. Was that the gist of it? Something like that. Basically, originally spices were, like, the heart and soul of, like, the European and Asian trade, but at some point the Europeans went all snobby. It's like, why do we need all these Asian spices? Our food tastes good just the way it is. We need good ingredients. That's what we need. <laughs> to hell with these foreign spices from these heathen countries. <laughs> now I feel like I have to point out that we did have another bowl of soup later down the road. <laughs> <laughs> and it was good. But it wasn't, so it wasn't like all soup was terrible in Iceland. Um, The other soup we had was, it had like a tomato coconut milk base, and it like was lightly spiced. (laughs) But where did they get those coconuts? I don't know. Like, so it seemed like we went to four restaurants, and then like two of the restaurants, they did incorporate coconut milk into their cooking. So maybe it's just something Iceland people really like, or maybe it was a coincidence. I'm not sure. But coconuts are a tropical fruit. I think given their weather, they're allowed to experiment. <laughs> they're, they're allowed to have all the joy that comes from tropical places. <laughs> oh, I think it's Natalie, the... I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on, Drew. I was going to say... I feel like it's the prices that's scandalizing you about these dishes more so than the flavor. Like, if even the bad soup had cost $5, would you even have taken notice of how it tasted, really? No. I think it was also because that bowl of soup was our first meal in Iceland, and it was our first introduction to Icelandic prices. Because towards the end, we were like, $13 for a sandwich. What a great price. So what's the weirdest thing you guys have eaten while traveling? Probably the fermented shark. (laughs) Like, I've had turtle and snake and, like, goat, and I would eat all those things again except the fermented shark. Oh, really? We paid $5 for, like, four small cubes of um, the fermented shark, and then Sodano and I ate two each, and what we should have done was find, like, two more fools And, like, all four of us could have split the shark because one cube was plenty. (laughs) And um, the taste is, like, stinky tofu, but not not nearly as delicious. Like, it has that funkiness that stinky tofu has, um, but none of, like, the punchiness or the abrasiveness. Hmm. Like, they should have gone further with the, (laughs) the strongness of flavor. So you're complaining that the fermented shark was too mild for you. No, because the bad thing about the fermented shark, I think, is not the taste. It's the texture combined with the taste. Because, like, when you eat stinky tofu, at least for me, like, the texture of the deep-fried tofu is like, oh, even though this kind of smells and perhaps tastes like it's something rotten, the texture of the food kind of convinces me that it is not. And then, Mm -hmm. um... But the texture of the shark is, like, in between, like, wet tissue and, like, halloumi Uh, cheese, where it kind of just, it's, like, 
you know, like it kind of, the texture is kind of something rotten where you just kind of bite in and your teeth kind of sink in. But it's also like, you know how halloumi has like that kind of squeaky <laughs> texture, like with your teeth? Yeah. So like, I thought the taste wasn't that bad, but combined with the texture, and if the texture was like matched with another like flavor profile, it might have been okay. But together, it was like pretty bad. And um, the fermented shark also has like an oily kind of gasoline aftertaste. Oh my god! That like just lingers. You're really selling me on the fact that I don't want to eat this dish. Like your description of it just now, like my my hackles are raised. I have a horrible expression on my face right now. <laughs> I was just thinking, if there's any country out there that hates Iceland. You can hire Natalie to write a travel guide about Iceland. It should be the kind of thing that you get in an airplane when you're going somewhere else, so you get more excited for your trip. <laughs> yeah. So, like, here's all these places where right. just wacky things are going on. You don't have to worry about it, though. You're going somewhere nice. But then when yeah. you go to Iceland, you're reading about how, like, I don't know, I- Ireland's a terrible place. And then when you're going to Ireland, you're reading about how Canada's a terrible place. It's all just a circle of terrible places. <laughs> Well, Iceland was extraordinarily beautiful. Like Game of Thrones beauty? Sort of. Like, it's just so stark and kind of desolate. And So basically, Iceland is beautiful in the way that it's covered with volcanoes that want to kill you at any given time? Uh, we, we didn't en- encounter um, volcanoes that wanted to kill us. We did encounter, like, gravel roads that wanted to kill us. <laughs> It was just like on the way to a, a natural site of some kind. You had to drive out there. Um, so we encountered gravel roads like a ton of times, and then some of them were better maintained than others. But like it was like our first day, and like we had been warned that sometimes like the paved road stops and you switch to gravel. Like we had been warned about this. So I'm not saying like you know those sneaky gravel roads. But, like, it was our first time, and then, like, my sister, she, like, swerved, and then the road is windy, and then, like, we almost went, like, off the road. Oh. And then it's not like you go off the road onto, like, flat land. It was, like, plunging down a hill. Not, like, plunging to one's death, but, like, plunging down a hill. Damn, that sounds scary. Like, it was, like, really beautiful, and it's kind of weird because, like, we went and saw sights and all, and the sights were cool, but it's mostly, like, just driving around the island and, like, just having hours of, like, beautiful landscape that, like, I found most memorable. And, like, the foliage, how, like, there's some green, but there's also, like, gold and, like, a muted kind of rusty red mm. that some of the, like, plant life is. And just seeing that is, like, really beautiful. And then, and then you see, like, the sheep eating it, and then you're like... Well, I wonder what their milk looks like, or like if it does anything to like the milk or the cheese of the sheep to be eating like this like very pretty grass. Yeah, I like to imagine that it enriches it. When the weather was bad, and you're like, I wonder what happened to the poor sheep if they're all okay. <laughs> Didn't like the sheep weren't the sheep like assholes to you? No, the horse was an asshole. The sheep mostly were like, that is a big thing. We should amble out of the way. <laughs> I love those little sheep. The the horse, on the other hand, was like, "Hey, baby, 
Are you going to feed me? <laughs> How would you rank animal experiences in your travel itinerary needs? Like, do you like to seek out animal times when you're traveling? Oh, that is like a top two, maybe a top three. <laughs> what about the horse? Oh, I did touch a horse because we were on a horse farm. Like, I wouldn't touch like a random horse that I met on the road, but I would touch like the horse that my Airbnb owner owned. Uh, so it's about it's a question of consent for you. Like, one of the horses was able to consent. No, I, I'm sure the the random horse would have loved it if I petted him. Like. He would have loved it. He did like lick our windows and chew on our side mirror. He was very friendly. <laughs> um, but I did pet like the Airbnb owners' horses. Like I petted their noses, which were very soft, and then I petted their heads. And then they had like hay like beside them, like in what looked like to be a food pile. So like I fed them some hay, and it was a very enjoyable experience. I love that your Airbnb person just had all these animals. Like that was part of the experience. I hope that was in the ad because if I had to choose between Airbnbs, I would be really inclined towards the one with a lot of animal friends hanging out nearby. Oh yeah. Um, well, you could rent them out for a ride, which we didn't do because we were short on time. Oh. So then, what would your dream travel destination be? Uh, anywhere in the world. Oh. This one's hard. <laughs> I would want to go to... I'd say Venice. Oh, good choice. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Italy. That's definitely... That would probably be my answer. It's just Italy in general. But I'd place just one place in Italy. Venice sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, it's got all those sweet gondolas. Yeah. And I guess watching Master of None kind of rekindled my interest in just going to Italy and bumming around Allora. <laughs> i just want to go and make pasta and like get stuck in a tiny street with the car that i rented and it's gonna oh, be great no. oh <laughs> i totally want to go to one of those like olive orchids or like a grape vineyard and like stop on some grapes to make my own olive oil <laughs> but you can do that in california yes but i want to do it with some sexy italian men natalie <laughs> it's important okay fine yes this is important to me <laughs> It's going to be like under the Tuscan sun, but, you know, with an Asian woman as the lead character instead, <laughs> Okay. without the messy divorce. Another place I've always wanted to go is Ireland. Uh, I am partially Irish, and so I feel like I have, you know, a heritage there that I need to discover personally. And I want to go see castles, Ooh. and I don't know, just chill in the countryside. It'll be a beautiful time. Sounds fun, too. I would like to go to Austria because I hear they have great pastries. Ooh, damn, Austria would be so nice. I love the buildings there. Like, everything looks so quaint and beautiful. I would just chill in one of those small towns uh, indefinitely. What about St. Petersburg? I'd like to see the Winter Palace. Mm. Maybe in a few years. <laughs> yeah, there are some places that I really want to go, but there are political reasons why I should not. And the weird thing is that doesn't really yeah. deter me. I'm still like, no, I'll go anyway. It'll be fine. But I, right. other people are always like, no, you really should not. And they send me articles. Well, <laughs> we're assuming that like when we're picking our ideal travel places, we're assuming there's no political determinants or anything. Like you don't have to worry about terrorism. You don't have to worry about 
about who's in power and whatever country. You could just go. Yeah. Well, no problems. That being said, like the weather of Russia or the weather of St. Petersburg is also like a pretty strong mark against it. Mm-hmm. St. Petersburg is actually one of the warmer places in Russia. <laughs> so um, I just remember because I had to read Crime and Punishment several times in my high school and college career. And it's just, like, stifling hot. I don't know if it was, you know, like, I don't know if my stifling hot was Dostoevsky's stifling hot, but it sounded like a miserable place. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't believe him. Doubt. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like when all the Michigan people kept telling me how hot it was in Michigan, and it was, like, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And I come from a country that's, like, usually upper 90s Fahrenheit. Right. Which I'm not going to judge the man's personal experiences, but like I think I'll decide what is too hot in Russia. Yes. But yeah, I do take weather into account when I'm thinking of a place I'd like to travel. Like generally, I'm always imagining the weather's perfect, and that's so rarely the case unless you plan it really, really well. Uh, I think I have the fort- good fortune of being from Taiwan, so whenever I go traveling overseas, I just tell myself, it cannot be worse than the weather I get in Taiwan. <laughs> it will only be better. Yeah. Uh, but what about, like, but Taiwan has so much air conditioning. Like, what if you go to a place that's, like, the same or slightly better, but with less air conditioning? Oh, my God. I would never go to those places. <laughs> but you lived in Thailand, didn't you? <laughs> Yes, we, but we had air conditioning in Thailand. But usually when I'm thinking of, like, whether a place is in general air conditioned, what I'm thinking of are, like, restaurants and transportation. Like, for instance, in Thailand, there are no doors on the public transportation. So if you're riding in, like, a Duk Duk uh, or a Songtao, you're exposed to the elements, and usually the elements are just stifling heat. And then you go to a place that is an outdoor restaurant where you're going to eat the spiciest food you ever had in your life, and I rank that as a place with bad air conditioning. <laughs> Usually I'm fine with the lack of air conditioning until I go to bed. Then I must have air conditioning. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I would say in general, like developing a travel pack that plans for all eventualities. And most of the eventualities that can ruin a trip are like not like medical related like sickness necessarily but stuff like that where it's like there was a preventative measure i could have taken it's just i didn't pack it so like oh yeah all it takes is one bad mosquito trip for the mosquito ointments to become a permanent part of your travel pack uh at least for me i keep a list and everything that's on the list goes in there even if i look at it and i'm like no i don't need that that's gonna take up too much space gotta bring it you're gonna be sad that you didn't would you? My brother always travels with drugs. Mm. And when I say drugs, I mean like acetaminophen, ibuprofen, and stomach medicine. Because yeah. you never know if you're going to accidentally eat anything that's going to give you diarrhea. Or like motion sickness medicine for me. I always forget I'm motion sick until I'm traveling. Because that's the only time that I'm in a vehicle on a bumpy road for like hours at a time. Do you use C bands? I've never tried it. Are you talking about, like, those things, it's like a bracelet that uh, prevents motion yeah, sickness? Yeah, yeah. I have them in my backpack um, at all times. Do they work? When they're in your backpack? <laughs> uh, no, because, like, I get, I get cart, I get bus sick. 
I guess is the term. Yeah. So, like, on bad bus rides, like, I'll slip them on. Huh. I always thought that I'd was, like, like a placebo that. thing, but if it works for you, then uh, maybe I'll give it a shot, because this is a frequent problem yeah. for me. <laughs> Even if it is a placebo and it works, that's, like, a good placebo for me. It's not, like, probably as effective as a drug, but it just helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm putting um, that on my list for my next travel. But, Tracy, would you be willing to share your your travel med kit in our newsletter? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have it right now, but I will have it for then. Um, it's, like, actually based pretty closely off of one of those lists that you get uh, online, but I have some very specific things on my list. Like, one thing on my list just says, don't bring the green pants, because I have this one specific <laughs> pair of pants. <laughs> I have this one specific pair of pants, which I really like to wear around the house. But they're, like, a little too tight, and for some reason, if I'm, like, moving too much, they, like, shrink or something. So it doesn't take long on, like, a day on the town before they become unbearable. And, like, I still like these pants, but not for traveling. So it says on there very clearly, don't bring the green pants, because I forget every time. That's great. (laughs) I think the biggest thing that has helped me is always bringing a neck pillow. Oh, yeah. And melatonin. Like, as Stacy can attest, I will use a neck pillow on long car rides. Hey, I kind of wanted to steal it. <laughs> like, they're just not for airplanes. They're for whenever you feel like it. And yeah. it's also, like, you can kind of use it when you're sitting in a car and you want, like, lumbar support. Like, you can kind of just, like, sit on it mm, lean yeah. against it. I always wanted to get one of those pillows that's like, it's called an ostrich pillow, I think, where it's like a big egg-looking thing, and you stick your head <sighs> inside of it, and you stick your hands inside of it, and it's this perfect little hole to sleep in. And it looks that like... I've great. seen those. <laughs> it sounds so good, but then I started worrying, like, am I going to suffocate in this They thing? must have planned for that. Maybe you need to practice before going on a trip. Yeah. Any gadget like that, its first try should not be on an extended travel experience. But I feel like this is the kind of thing I see in Sky Mall. Um, so it's probably the kind of thing I only want to buy when I'm already traveling. And I'm like, oh, the ostrich pillow sounds so good right now. But then if I was actually in my right mind, I'd be like, I don't need that. So how are you guys with jet lag? <laughs> the worst. Um, It's strange. It took me only like about a week to get over jet lag going over to the States. But on my way back, it took like two or three weeks for me to get back to normal. That's the worst. If it lasts more than a week, it's miserable. I was waking up every day at like 5.30 in the morning. Uh, For me, uh, when I travel, I usually try to like go to sleep at whatever time is normal for that place, regardless of whether I wished I could have gone to bed earlier or I'm not tired yet. Um, Because that basically cures the jet lag before it even starts. But if I fail... If I fall asleep too soon or too late, then I get it for, like, at least a week, and it's very bad. Uh, but usually I manage to, you know, go to sleep on time, and then it's okay afterwards. My problem was more of a, I was going to sleep on time, but then I would just wake up horrendously early, and then, as a result, be tired during the day. Mm. I've been taking melatonin this time. Oh, really? Did it help? Sort of. Like, sort of, like, I'm still a little jet-lagged, but I also planned it out so I had, like, a weekend to recover. 
I don't know how melatonin like affects you, but it is really effective for me. Like I tend to take it on planes because I feel like if the plane crashes, I can rouse myself. But other than that, I can just float in and out of consciousness. Back when I lived in Thailand and you could buy a lot of things over the counter that you can't in the United States, we used to get Xanax for trips and like uh, we would each take like half a Xanax before we had to go to sleep. So even if, you know, the jet lag was such that we weren't tired, usually like that would calm our minds down or whatnot and you could fall asleep pretty easily. And then like if I did that, if I had like sort of an assisted sleep uh, on the first night, then my jet lag was usually fixed for the rest of the time. I've never taken Xanax either. I'm kind of curious. I mean, Xanax has many perks, but this is... Uh, I wouldn't recommend it over a long period of time, though, like as a general sleep aid, just because you get accustomed to it, you know? Like, it stops working. But this was like, we only took it for travel reasons during this time, so for that, it's really good. Right. I'm actually... That's what I'm mostly curious about the Xanax for, because I have trouble falling asleep on planes. It's just really uncomfortable in those chairs. Like, you can't lie down, you can't stretch your legs. I think there's a comedian who has a bit about trying to get Xanax from a doctor, and, like, the excuse that he gives that he's lying about <laughs> is, I have trouble, I get anxious on planes. So I feel like you could go and ask for Xanax and say, like, I get anxious on planes, but will they believe you? I've always wanted to fly first class where they give you a bed, because that just looks like I could not even imagine what it feels like to fly while sleeping in total comfort. That's got to be a great experience, but I'm not willing to pony up a million dollars to do it the one time. Life goals, Tracy. <laughs> yeah. My goal is to get a job where they will pay for me to fly first class, and I don't have to do anything. That is my goal. You'll have to be a very important person, Tracy. Yeah. You'll have to be Miranda Priestly levels of important. I don't think... I don't think you have to be that uh, that rich and famous, though, because I hear people talking about work, and they'll just mention casually that their company once flew them first class for, like, a conference or something. And I'm always like, they do that just for a conference? And they're like, yeah, if they're, you know, the kind of company that has, I don't know, some kind of deal with the airlines, then I don't know who has that. Yeah, I think it depends on the company, if it has a deal with the airlines, but it also depends on your role in the company and what you're going to the conference for. So if you're going to the conference to give a speech, you're more likely to be flown business class than if you were just attending the conference to listen to the speech. Yeah, true. And I also think they expect more of you. Like if they fly you economy, they might give you like a a night to recover. But if they fly you business, they probably want you to be on as soon as, you know, the plane touches the ground. Well, I wouldn't mind that if I got all that relaxation time in the air. They also give you ice cream in business class. Ooh. That's another like, thing is I want to find out what they eat up there. It's fancy. Uh, they get steak sometimes. I've flown first class once. Oh, really? No, I've flown it a few times. Um, Like, twice I think I got bumped. And then one time, it was because I, like, was moving from China to Taiwan. It was too hard for me to figure out because I was like, how do I, like, how many kilograms is each suitcase? I have three suitcases. Um, I have to pay for extra weight. And I have to pay for, like, two additional suitcases. How much is this going to cost? Oh, it's so expensive if you get 
if you go over your weight limit. So then finally, I was like, I think it's going to be this amount for the luggage. And it's about the same price to just fly first class. So I'll just fly first class. And it was a really good decision because it was one of those flights that they have everyone board. You sit on the runway and then they kick everyone off. And then you have to like do it all over again in two hours. And while what? we were sitting on the runway, they had the ter- the plane was like essentially off and there was no air conditioning. And so people were like, help, help in economy. But like... I was sitting in first class and like a stewardess would give me basically a cup of iced water every five minutes. Oh my god. <laughs> Luxury life. <laughs> Man, Natalie, you are living it up there. Yeah, and I think it's like an hour, hour and a half flight like tops. <laughs> that's crazy. So that's my first class experience. <laughs> there was no steak or ice cream. I don't think the flight was long enough for you to be fed. Yeah. Any other tips for flying on planes? I actually really like to do a face mask when I'm on the plane because it's so dry. And if I don't, I have a tendency to break out once I land. Except I know that it's kind of shocking to my plane neighbors. They turn around in the dark and there's this white face staring back at them. <laughs> they probably think the plane is haunted. Like, I've done it and then whatever I, whenever I do it, I make sure my sweatshirt hood is up. So that might just make it worse. <laughs> That's so spooky. Oh gosh. That's a very spooky image for a plane. Uh, but that's a good idea. Like, I usually bring moisturizer for the same reason, but a face mask sounds like it's one use and convenient and it's to the shape of your face, so. I also really recommend those heating eye masks that are really popular in Japan. What are they exactly? Like a gelatin mask? No, it's, um, it's basically some sort of cloth material, but disposable. And then inside, there's some sort of material that when it's exposed to the air, it starts warming up and it starts giving up smells of like lavender. Ooh. So you put it over your eyes when you're about to go to sleep and it's this warm weight on top of your eyelids and then you smell the lavender and it just makes you feel really relaxed and then you start falling asleep. Oh wow, that sounds amazing. I'll look it up. And I imagine in a pinch you could use those hand warmers that you're supposed to use in the wintertime in your pockets. (laughs) I don't know. That might be too hot for your eyes. They don't smell like lavender either. No. (laughs) Right. But they should make ones that smell like lavender. For when you have cold hands in the winter and you're trying to go to sleep. This is an untapped market in the United States. Maybe we should get on this. I feel like if people don't know about this now, they probably should. Yeah. Tracy, we'll export all these things to you. You can just set up shop in Florida. We'll see how business goes there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll be your supplier. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes. It will help new listeners find us. Have a question or a comment? We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at NBC Podcast. For links to all the things we talked about today, please go to our blog, midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Wednesday Cafe.